Well, good morning, everybody, and so glad that you're joining us for week three of Dare to Dream. Uh, simultaneously, while we are experiencing this teaching uh, there in Duncan and Dieball and Nacogdoches with one more practice service and right here in the Lufkin location, uh, simultaneously, I am also in India. I'm across the world uh, meeting with some missionaries, investigating some investments that we've made in some cool places uh, that is all about our mission and our vision here to create community destinations where anyone can find and follow Jesus. And so while I'm there, I'm also teaching here. It is wonderful to be able to be like Jesus and use the technology of the day. The same way Jesus stood on a boat out in the water and used the technology of the Sound waves running across the water to reach more people. Uh, we get to use this kind of technology, and in just a few days, next Sunday, we are launching Nacogdoches. Wow, what an investment, what a dream. We have dared to dream big dreams and cannot wait to see what God does in the coming weeks and months as we not finish a dream, but we really catapult into a, uh, the beginning of a big dream right there at Timber Creek Knack. Uh, as we go on in this series, the really the, the linchpin scripture, the, the, the scripture that uh, kind of ties it all together is this scripture out of Proverbs 2019. It's one of my favorite. I, I would consider it a life verse. It helps me keep clarity in my life. And it's Proverbs 29:18. The Message Bible says, if people can't see, everybody say it with me. If people, excellent. If people can't see, what God is doing, they stumble all over themselves. But if they attend to what he reveals, they are most blessed. There's a lot of good things we could do. There's a lot of great things that we could accomplish. A lot of stuff we could put our hands to, 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 to plow and make happen. But, but we don't want to just do a lot of things. We tend to stumble all over them ourselves. If we attend to what he's revealed for us to attend to. All throughout scripture. In fact... Uh, we started this series by daring to dream, talking about dreaming again, asking God to birth within us. And we repented of our small dreams and we wanted to get fresh eyes of what God would want to show us and want to say. And we're, we're, we started week one with finding a dream. Week two, last week, uh, we talked about not daring to dream, but then finding a dream. Like, how do we do this? How do we make it plain? How do we write it down? What does scripture say? And, and last Last week, we, we ended with the idea of uh, we have to move from inspiration to participation. We, we can't just be inspired by a dream. We have to participate in the dream. And as we learned last week, if we're praying that God would grant a dream of rain on, uh, give us rain, give us water, like we got to participate by digging some ditches so that we're ready to receive what God wants to pour out. I wonder how many people haven't been able to find out what God has for them because they have just expected God to do it all and he's asking us, well, you dig some ditches and then I'll make it rain. Like there is a wonderful partnership with God. But let's say that you have dared to dream, that you're in the process of finding a dream. Today, I wanna talk about what does it look like when you're in between dreams? What if you can't get the clarity? What if you're struggling to figure out 
Okay, what does this mean? Was that God or was that the pizza I ate last night when I had that dream? Uh, Is this just my imagination running wild or God, is this your your voice? And I said last week, really what we need to do is is, is stop just looking or listening for a voice and we need to start uh, looking for a verse. All throughout scripture, God has given us plenty to do. We don't have to just wait for him to speak something. He's already spoken it through his word. That's why we ought to be reading God's word together. So as we get into in-between dreams, I want to jump in and talk about uh, some words of a famous uh, TV evangelist. Back in the 1920s, this evangelist came on the scene. It wasn't quite TV yet. It was really more in written form. And this evangelist was was not somebody you'd see on TBN. It was someone you read in the comic books. I'm talking about Popeye. Popeye the Sailor Man. And anytime you have something to share or, or you are promoting something, you've really become an evangelist. You can be an iPhone evangelist. You can be a CrossFit evangelist. You can be an evangelist for the gospel of Christ. Uh, but Popeye was an incredible character. Why these shows didn't win Oscars, the world may never know. Cinematic masterpieces. You can have your Finding Nemo. You can have your Toy Story and Buzz and Woody. Give me some pop. Popeye, baby. And what we have is since 1929, this Popeye character was a loving character. I will say that, that you, you, you notice that Popeye, as great as he was, he, he wasn't very smart in the gym, okay? He, he skipped leg day, he skipped everything else day, and he just worked on some forearm day, okay? Like, like that was all, like his shirts were really weird. Uh, but, but Popeye was a lovable, although he was strong, he was a lovable character, easygoing, not easily agitated. Agitated, and there were people in his life that loved to agitate him. In fact, the, the, the key uh, antagonist in the whole deal of Popeye was a guy named uh, Brutus or Bluto. He had both names in the comic book and the stories uh, on TV. Bluto, what was his, Popeye's arch nemesis. He was the bully of the whole thing. All of Popeye's friends, Wimpy, who wanted to eat hamburgers, and, and, and Sweet Pea, the little baby everywhere, who, Whose baby is Sweepy? Who, whose child is this? Who's the dad? Who's the mom? Like Sweepy just running around as one of the one of the characters in the story. And see, Bluto uh, always fought against Popeye, had a struggle against Popeye, and, and would always uh, be bullying him. And Popeye and him would get into conflict. And usually, it was around a very important character, really the love of Popeye's life, olive oil. What's not to love? Milky white skin, six foot seven, size 14 shoe, and it's not a Gucci, it's an army boot. I mean, what's not to love? And her voice was so, it was like honey on your ears. Popeye! You know, what's not to love about olive oil? And here's the deal. Bluto would pester olive oil and put olive oil in bad situations and Popeye would come to a rescue but then Popeye would be stuffed into a barrel of fireworks or strapped to a rocket or tied to the railroad tracks. I mean Popeye's life insurance was through the roof, okay? Geico dropped him, all right? Like like Popeye had issues and Popeye would finally get to the point of no return. He was so calm, so chill, so like, you know, Bluto, you better not be doing this, <laughs> but, but finally he, 
he would reach his limit and something inside Popeye would snap. And he would say these famous words. And this is what we're calling today the Popeye principle. This is the Popeye principle. He would get to the point of snapping. Uh, something would just, would, would just grab him by the throat and he, he would have had enough. And here's the famous line that Popeye would say. He would say, I've had all I can stands. I can't stands no more. And in that moment, it was a divine gift from God that even though he's Tied to the railroad tracks. There would be a horse pulling a buggy that would be pulling a, a, a buggy load of spinach. And one of those cans would fall off the, the wagon and would roll over to the train tracks. And Popeye could grab it with his massive arms. That's how he got, the, the, that's how he got those forearms so great. Because he'd squeeze that can of spinach. And the spinach would, would catapult into the air and perfectly come down and swallow that spinach. I mean, this was propaganda of families trying to get their children to eat vegetables. Don't we see it? Don't buy into the lie, kids. Spinach will not make you break the bonds of Pluto. Anyway, I digress. Popeye would eat his spinach, would get strong, would break the straps, would put Bluto on the rocket and send him to the moon. And he would capture olive oil and the story would end happily ever after. But it came to a point where he had to just say, I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired. I'm, I've had all I can stands. I can't stands no more. When you're in between dreams... This is an important thought. And all throughout scripture, there are people that had come to a point where they couldn't stand it anymore, what they were seeing take place. Moses was uh, f uh, rescued out of mass genocide in Egypt as Pharaoh decreed that all the babies, all the Hebrew boys would be killed under three years of age. Moses' parents put him in this, the, the smallest boat of the Bible, put him down the Nile River, and he's found and rescued by Pharaoh's house. He grows up fostered and adopted as an Egyptian, learns all the Egyptian code, all the Egyptian rules, all the Egyptian math. He walks like an Egyptian. He talks like an Egyptian. That's a joke. But he also knows his roots. He knows his Hebrew blood flows through his veins. And he begins to notice the plight of his own people. Even though he's growing up as royalty, there's something burning inside him as he sees his fellow brothers and sister Hebrews uh, under the whip of the Egyptian soldiers. And one day as Moses is making his rounds, he sees a Hebrew slave being beaten by an Egyptian. And Moses, something inside him snaps. And he runs and he begins to fight this Egyptian. And in this in exchange, he kills the Egyptian. Scared for being found, he buries the body and hides it. And later on, next day, finds out that, that he has actually been seen killing this Egyptian and he has to flee for his life. Decades he spends out of Egypt. And finally, after 40 years, God shows up in a miraculous way 
And God begins to talk to Moses about God's heart about the Hebrew children, just like Moses had a heart for the Hebrew children. And in Exodus chapter 3, we see that the God of the universe says, the Lord says, Moses, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers. And I am concerned about their suffering. Guess what was happening? God was seeing what Moses was seeing. Or let's switch it. Moses was seeing what God was seeing. Moses was hearing what God was hearing in the heavenlies. Moses was concerned just like God was concerned in the heavenlies. And Moses wanted to do something about the suffering. That's why he intervened four decades earlier to try and stop this Egyptian from hurting his blood. The scripture goes on to say, so, God says, I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land. But here's the deal with the scripture. God did not leave heaven and come down to earth and do this on his own. He partnered with Moses. He called Moses. He worked through Moses. He empowered Moses. He gave Moses what he needed to Moses to come down. For Moses to help rescue. Not Moses' strength, but God's strength through Moses. For Moses to bring them up out of that land. It was God through Moses. So here's what's happening. Write it down in your notes there, Duncan and Dybal and Lufkin and Knack. Write it down. When the frustrations of man align with the frustrations of God, you know what happens? Life-changing power is produced. Something, Something erupts in the heavenlies and on earth. When we're praying like Jesus told us to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You, you wonder why Jesus asked us to pray that every day? Because there are frustrations in God's heart. There are dreams in God's heart. And he's asking you to be frustrated over the right things. Not frustrated over traffic. Not frustrated over the telemarketing call. Although, bless God, that can get you frustrated. But be frustrated about what frustrates God. Be praying that his kingdom come here as he sees it there. And that's what happened. And sure enough, when God and Moses, when their frustrations align, anointing pours out and the people are delivered. That's what I want to see happen all across the different campuses and venues of Timber Creek Church. Listen to me. I want to see God, I want to see God's heart realized by his people. And when we are praying prayers that God wants us to be praying, that is anointing that takes place. That is unity. Yeah, pray a bunch of prayers. Believe a lot of things. But let's be praying God's dreams because that's what happens. And Moses said, I've had all I can stand. I can't stand no more. And God says, that's exactly what I've been feeling. Nehemiah, who's the cupbearer to the king, he is in captivity in Babylon. He has been a refugee pulled out of Jerusalem, and now he is a captive, kind of a, he's a helper, but, but, but he, he's not in his own land, he's not in shackles, but, but he's not truly free. But he hears word that Jerusalem, the 
the gates and the walls had been destroyed. And it breaks his heart that his hometown, uh, his, his city, that, that, it's, that it's gone. That, it, that it's in rubble and it's easy to attack. And it breaks his heart. And he says, I've had all I can stand. I can't stand no more. And even though I've got this cush job, even though I've got this simple job of being a wine taster for the king... I mean, it's a cush job until somebody poisons the wine. I mean, it's great, you know, when everything's good, but when somebody put a pellet of poison in there, you know, well, by Nehemiah. But right here we see Nehemiah approach the king, and he says, king, something's troubling me. In fact, the king notices it. I don't want to see the city like this. And the king grants him the opportunity. Nehemiah said, I've had all I can stand. I can't stand no more. And in a matter of just a few months, Nehemiah gathers, he has vision, he leads, he has a dream. And despite opposition, despite persecution, despite the odds stacked against them, Nehemiah begins to rebuild the gates and the city walls of Jerusalem. David, as a young teenage boy, not old enough to fight, his dad gives him a, 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 you know, a big old tray of Subway sandwiches and some Doritos, puts him in the back of the two-door Datsun pickup truck, and he drives over to the battlefield where all his older brothers have been waiting for six weeks on the battlefield up against Philistine opposition. And it's not the entire army that the Israelites are worried about as far as the Philistines go. They're worried about one. It's the giant. It's the guy from Gath. His name is Goliath, and he is been taunting them for weeks he walks up every morning send me a champion <laughs> massive gargantuan man sitting there telling yo mama jokes to the israelites yo mama so fat <laughs> and, and and all the israelites are shaking in their armor like <laughs> my mom is fat <laughs> It's a crazy situation. And David shows up with Subway sandwiches and Doritos. And he's looking around. He's like, why isn't anybody doing anything about this? And something inside David snaps. Something just, just erupts in David. And he says, can we let these Philistines talk to us like this? He is not only defying us. He's defying the Lord our God. And what, what's, what's frustrating David is frustrating God, because God then anoints David. It's not David's ability to sling one stone. It is the anointing of God. When the frustrations of man align with the frustrations of God, life-changing power, supernatural activity flows out of us. And I'm asking, I'm asking you, what will, what will it be, something in you, in the in-between of dreams? You don't have to have it clarified. You don't have to have it quite written down yet. But there ought to be something that begins to stir you up. That makes you say, I've had all I can stands. I can't stands no more. Moses, Nehemiah, David, and then of course, you all know Bob. Now, Bob's not in the Bible, but he's just as ordinary as these three. Moses had issues. Nehemiah had issues. David had issues. Bob had issues. But Bob is a modern-day story of, of having all he could stand. He was an, a, a successful, effective businessman. Took a trip to Asia to see some, some uh, food lines and what God was doing there, and as he was standing watching this place feed children, he noticed children in a food line falling over, not from dehydration, not from passing out. 
he saw children dying waiting for food in the food line. And Bob, something inside him like Moses and Nehemiah and David erupts and he runs to the front of the food line. He says, speed it up. Children are dying. Speed up. We Pick it up. And they say, we can't go. Any, it's not that we can go any faster. We don't have any food. We're out of food. And Bob says, I've had all I can stand. I can't stand no more. So Bob goes back to Los Angeles and he gathers together some other successful businessmen and businesswomen. He says, if it's the last thing I do, we're going we're gonna to have more food in the food line. And now World Vision is feeding 2 million children every single day because Bob Pierce had a vision. But it wasn't just a vision. It wasn't just a dream. It, 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 it erupted into a dream because the catalyst was this feeling of I've had all I can stands. I can't stands no more. So, Timber Creek Church, what can't you stand? And I can say there is so much suffering and so much hurt in our world. I'm not asking you to take on everything. But is there something is, is there just something? There's so much issue. There's so much trouble. There's so, many, there's so many people hurting. There's so many things that you can do. But what can't you stand? Is it poverty? Is it, is it uh, homelessness? Could it, be, uh, could it be an unreached people group across the world that has never even heard an adequate, adequate presentation of the gospel of Jesus Christ? Is it kids that, that, that don't have school supplies for school or, the, or, 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 or even shoes? Is it that, that children are, are going hungry across this world? Is it, is it that people are, are being forced into sex trafficking? Is it wounded people? Is it, is it, is it people that have gone through a hard divorce that need some care? Is it someone who's, who's been uh, abused in different ways? That just through the love of, is it someone who maybe has lost a loved one and they're grieving and you just want to come alongside them and help them in their process? Is it people that are lonely? And you say, oh, we ought not be lonely. We ought not do life alone. What can't you stand? There's so much that sometimes it's hard to choose and I'm inviting you to push through the mush of everything. And just find something. It's, it's what we call a holy discontent. What, 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 what hurts God's heart, what wrecks God's heart, a holy discontent. That God, would that hurt our hearts too? So three simple things we do to, to kind of recognize or figure out what we can't stand when we're in the in-between of dreams. Number one, I need to find a holy discontent. Search for it. You, you have not because you ask not. And you find Jesus when you search for Jesus. So if we're looking for what wrecks Jesus' heart, we need to be searching for what wrecks Jesus' heart. You don't have to search very long. You don't have to wait for his voice like I said last week. What, what we do is we look for his voice already in Scripture. 
You know, he says there are a whole lot of people that say, Lord, 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 Lord. They lift up hands in worship and they say, Lord, 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 and they don't enter the kingdom of heaven. Well, what do you mean they don't enter the kingdom of heaven? Yeah, the scripture is clear. I was hungry and you didn't give me anything to eat. I was thirsty. You didn't give me anything to drink. I was in prison and you didn't come and visit me. This was the scripture that was the catalyst to say, if it's the last thing we do, we've had all we can say. We're not going to just do a bunch of things as a church. We're going to go back to the basics and we want to help dig wells to help thirsty people and we want to fill up bowls to help hungry people and we want to go to prisons right in our backyard because he says go visit people in prison you got to find the holy discontent so what is it there are dozens and dozens of nonprofit organizations in Lufkin and in Nacogdoches and in Dybal. Go look them out. Find them. We're providing some information in your worship guide on some simple phone calls, some, some simple phone numbers and some websites for some organizations we believe in that have a like-mindedness with us. We couldn't name them all. We just chose a few. Find them. Look at them. And then here's what you do once you find something that begins to stir your heart. You know what you do? You feed it. You feed the holy discontent. In other words, you get around. If poverty bothers you, get around some people that are in poverty. If homelessness bothers you, you can I invite you to, to, instead of just dropping off a burger or five bucks, pull off to the side of the road. If it's safe, don't be an idiot. But if it's safe, pull off to the side of the road and say, hey, what's your story? Feed that discontent. G give them whatever they need in the moment that they need it. Be wise as serpents, but harmless as doves. It's like be a snake bird. It's a, it's a new creature Jesus wants you to be. Harmless as doves, wise as serpents. Be a snake bird and just kind of feed your holy discontent. Now, it makes sense. We could stop it right there. We could pray. You'd probably be glad if I did. But here's, here's, here's the issue. There is a problem. What's the problem? The problem is you know this. The problem is you know there's issues. Problem is, you, you, we, we see all this every single day and we can either become numb or we become blind or, or we, really, we really don't see because we're seeing what, we, what we're normally seeing and, and, and we forget to kind of pause to, to, to find something and to feed it. I'm going to show you a picture in just a second. Now, I've used this picture in some leadership training with some dream teamers and stuff. So now, if you already know what I'm about to do, don't you, don't you waste it for anybody else. But, but here's the deal. I'm going to show you a picture. It's a messy bathroom. I want you to see if you can find the toothbrush in the picture. Okay? It's a messy bathroom. There's a toothbrush. See if you can find it. I'm only going to show you the picture for just a second. Uh, see if you can identify the color of the toothbrush. Are you ready? And Go. And okay, all right. How many of you saw the toothbrush? Just put a hand right up in the air. Nagadoches, Duncan, you guys saw the toothbrush? Okay, how many of you saw that there were more than one toothbrush? How many, let, let's stop, 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 stop. How many of you saw a green and white toothbrush? Just put it up high, yeah, own it. Yeah, that's right, it was right there. You saw it, uh, give yourself one clap. All right, there you go, okay. Um, how many of you saw a, a, a blue toothbrush? Anybody? Maybe a couple. Some of you already seen it and some of you did see it. Okay, well, let's look at it again. See if you see, if you didn't see the blue toothbrush, see if you can see the blue toothbrush. Do you see it anywhere? Yeah, like 
right here. <laughs> Isn't it amazing? Uh, how did I miss that toothbrush? Well, here's why. Let, let me explain it to you this way. Write it down in your notes. Your expectations determine what you see. When I began to describe a toothbrush, you immediately did not think of something the size of a shovel. You, you thought of something the size of, of a large toothpick that will fit in your hand. You, because, you, because your expectations have already drilled down your perception of what you, what you will truly see. And here's the deal. If you expect that every person who's homeless is just taking advantage of someone... If you think that everybody that's panhandling is just always just trying to do it or they're twisted or they're crooked, then that's all you're going to see. If, if all you see when you walked in today is a virtual teaching environment, the pastor's not even here in person, and, and you said, well, pff, I mean, I, I, can't, I didn't come to church. I didn't get dressed, bless God, this morning to come into church and watch a video, bless God. Well, well I can say if that's your expectation, it will limit what you experience and what you see today. But if your expectation was, God, I'm going to give you my best today when I walk in. God, I need your help today. However you want to speak to me, speak. Your servant is listening. That expectation is going to determine what you see and what you truly experience. Here's the truth. Write it down. Your expectations will either limit or enlarge your opportunities. They'll either limit or enlarge your dreams. If you expect that someone else could do that better than you, then that will limit you. If you expect that, well, God would never use me, that will limit you. Have strong, solid expectations of the sovereign Lord God of the universe that he wants to use you right where you are to show you the same way he showed Moses, to stir you the same way he stirred Nehemiah, to empower you the same way he empowered David when David was face to waste with a giant. He wants to do the same in you expect it but the problem is we just assume other people are handling it you've heard the story of kitty genovese i've shared the story before if you don't remember the story of kitty genovese in 1964 kitty was uh coming off of a, of a train station at midnight in queens new york she was attacked by a man in the parking lot in front of that train station, that train depot. She yelled out at the top of her lungs, oh my God, oh my God, he's killing me. There in front of her was a narrow road and on both sides were massive apartment brick, red brick apartment complexes. All kinds of windows on the sides with the, you know, the clothes hanger and the electrical wires hanging across. And, and lights turned on as they heard someone yelling at midnight. And you know, some bald guy with a hairy chest and a white tank top, you know, he kind of looks out and looks around and pushes the... The man flees from Kitty Genovese because she yells, but because nobody shows up, he comes back two more times. And in the process of about 15 minutes, he stabs her to death, and Kitty Genovese dies on the street. When the police show up and they do all the reporting, 28 eyewitnesses, 28 witnesses that heard and saw something, 28 people, 
but yet 911 was not called in time to rescue Kitty. Nobody jumped out uh, of, of their bed and ran downstairs to, to help. It's what psychologists call, write this down, it's what psychologists call a diffusion of responsibility. A diffusion of responsibility. Here's, here's what killed Kitty Genovese. Listen to me close. Kitty didn't die because nobody heard her cry for help. Kitty died because everybody heard her cry for help. But because everybody heard, everybody assumed someone else would take responsibility. Students, teenagers, take responsibility. Don't let that responsibility diffuse in your school when you see someone being bullied. Take responsibility when you see an issue and it begins to stir your heart. Let that holy discontent stir you up. Can I say that this happens in the church all the time? And it happens around this really important, critical piece of the church called dream teams. Dream teams make the dream of God happen at the local level. From Dieball and Duncan to Nacogdoches to the Lufkin location to Iglesia Timber Creek. Dream teams make the dream, God's dream, happen. Not the pastor's dream. God's dream takes place through people that he empowers with spiritual gifts and kindness and blessing and the way to really make 600 dream teamers all across our campuses in different ministries happening. That is so huge. But can I tell you something? When you walk in and you see dream teamers, you automatically assume if you've not been serving, you can assume they got this. They don't have a place for me. Look at me in the eye. The good eye, not my blind eye. Look at me in my good eye. Listen. There is a place for you. Do not assume that it's running the way it needs to run. There are so many open opportunities, especially with launching Nacogdoches. This is a time that I'm inviting you to step it up. We have one serve cards available for you just to serve one time in September 8th for launch Sunday to, to dip your toe in the water to just taste what serving is like if you've never served you don't even have to be a part of starting point to just serve on one serve opportunity come on step it up feed the discontent join the team for one day and see if God might not speak to your heart on serving in the parking lot or, or as an usher or on the red carpet team or, or around our hallways or you name it God would love to use you as his hands and feet here. Starting point, what's so cool is actually in Duncan, or pardon me, uh, in Dieball. Duncan, we're coming for you, but Dieball, it's taken a while. We are launching next week. We're launching Starting Point. It's an experience for you to get plugged in. And then you guys there in the prison, we want to provide that process so that then you can serve. Not just have Dream Teamers coming in on Wednesday nights, but you guys participating more and more in being the Dream Team there in Duncan and Dieball. And if you're here at Lufkin or you're there in Knack and you've not Finish starting point. Now is the time. The dream demands it. The vision of God in the heavenlies demands that we step up and take part. So find it. Feed it. But Jeremy, I don't really know what my giftings are. I, I'm timid. I'm shy. Or man, I, I just, I, I don't know if I should, you know, this or that. What do I do? Let, let me give you a number three. And it's really, really simple. Just do something. Just do Something, just do something. LaShonda Calloway died 
in this gas station three miles away from my home in Wichita, Kansas, back in 2004. LaShonda was stabbed in the parking lot of this gas station. She stumbled into the, to the gas station right in front of the cash register. Three different customers were in the, the gas station shopping. Two of them stepped over her body as she lay there bleeding, paid for their gas or paid for their Tic Tacs. The third person pulled out their phone but did not call 911. It was a flip phone at the time took a picture of her laying on the floor of that gas station. When finally the ambulance arrived after somebody finally called 911, so eerily similar to Kitty Genovese, that night on the 10 o'clock news on, on Cake TV, K-A-K-E TV, the chief of police gave a statement and said, had someone just done something, LaShonda Calloway, her wounds were completely uh, uh, non-threatening had we dealt with them at the time. But because nobody acted, we missed the opportunity to serve her well. And LaShonda dies in a gas station. And many of us are like, uh, I, I'll do something, but I gotta, I gotta get this done first, or I gotta make this happen. So when I make more money, I'll, I'll, I'll start giving to the local church. Uh, when, when, I, when I get married, you know, and things kind of, I begin to settle in and have a family, that's when I'll really devote myself to the Lord. When, when I have more time, <laughs> like you're gonna have more than 168 hours in a week, all I get is 168 hours a week, all my wife gets is 168 hours. It's never making more time, it's making the most of your time when I kids get all grown up then I'll serve in the church when my kids are grown then I'll make church a priority when, when, when I retire and the Bible is clear Solomon wisest man who ever lived I didn't say that Jesus said that God said that Solomon said if you wait for perfect conditions you'll never get anything done so I'm saying to you what can't you stand what is it that God may be ringing in your ear that was once clear, but now it became foggy because of everything else going on in your life? I'm inviting you to re, rediscover in this in-between of big dreams in your life. God, what wrecks your heart? I want what breaks your heart to break mine. I'm in India, as I said. I am having the privilege of meeting some of our missionaries and seeing our Women's Empowerment Center that is helping women get out of sex trafficking and, and that whole industry by teaching them a new trade so that they don't have to earn the money the only way they've known how for so long. And these women, uh, this has been a multi-generational deal that these women are going through. Their kids grow up in it. Their kids become the same as mom. It, it's a terrible epidemic. Um, you know, 13 years ago, these four kids were the product of moms who were in sex slavery in Mumbai, India. These four kids, Sony, Sumi, Priya, and Pinky, I love that, Pinky, their moms would sell their bodies all night long and these children would sleep under the bed, the same bed, where the mother earned the living the only way she could at the time. A pastor there 
began to invest because he had seen the plight of these women and he said, I've had all I can stand. I can't stand no more. And Brother Devaraj, who I've shared meals with, he began to meet their physical needs, bringing them food, medical care, just saying, I love you and I'm here for you. And you know what those women did? They didn't believe him because they had seen other Christians walk around their situation and pastors would, would, would look at them in disgust versus having all they could stand and serve them and help them and, and feed them and provide medical uh, help, a clinic. I've stood in the middle of the little clinic where these women get aid for what is ailing them. Brother Devaraj finally earned enough respect and trust with these women that he said, listen, your children don't need to grow up in this. You know that. I will provide them meals every day. I'll provide them food, shelter, education. I will get them out. And those moms said, will you take our kids? And these four children are just many of the, some of the hundreds of children that have been rescued. And the women have been rescued too. But we're reaching the next generation. 13 years later, these four ladies, Sony and Sumi and Priya and Pinky, uh, she, she has an art degree. She's an art teacher, college degree, college degree. Priya has her MBA, all because somebody said, I've had all I can stand, I can't stand no more, and provided an opportunity, and look what God did. He came down. He rescued. He brought them out because he was concerned for their suffering, just like he was with Moses and just like he was with Brother Devaraj and just like he is for you. But if we're going to help people that are uh, bound up or having to deal with, with issues, they find themselves in a situation where they never really wanted to be in. If we're going to do that over there, we want to do it right here. It, it, that's what was the catalyst, guys, in Duncan and Dieball for starting our services there on Wednesday nights. Uh, we don't have any pictures of the Duncan unit yet, but... Uh, we said as a church, we, we don't want to help people all across the world and, and not be there to help the families of those that have uh, a son or a dad or a granddad uh, incarcerated. We, we want to be a part of what God is doing. And so we launched our prison venue in Dybal and a year later in Duncan and we've got more prisons on the horizon. Why? Because God says I've had all I can stand. I can't stand no more. I want to come down there. But he's not coming down in the flesh. It's why he gave you you. It's why he gave us your heart, your hands, your feet, your gifts. And you know from one of these prisons there in Duncan and Dybal I received a text message a while ago about a gentleman who, whose dad reached out to me. And here's what their dad said. It was a text message from a dad of one of the guys in the Duncan or the Dieball unit. Pastor Jeremy, as parents, we had the responsibility for the decisions that our children made before they turned 18 years of age. And today, since they're all over 18 years of age, we live with the fallout of their decisions. I know some of you are going through that today. Part of that fallout is having a son in in prison. We want to thank you and the Timber Creek Church congregation with your investment into the unit. You have brought our son so much hope and a new outlook on his life for now and in the future. He calls us each week to tell me about the messages he hears and how they have brought him closer to God. He is back walking with God. 
My son is changed because of your listening to God and investing into the inmates. We all need another chance when we have made the wrong decisions. Thank you. Now look at me in, in, right here in the eyes. Lufkin and Dybal and Duncan and Nacogdoches. Dare to dream. Dare to dream big dreams. But if you can't quite write it down yet, get into the scripture. Trust that God is going to stir your heart for what stirs him in the Bible. At the end of the book, at the end of the Bible, there is this scripture that says, The Spirit and the Bride say, Come. When the Spirit of God is saying something, oh, this wrecks my heart. And the bride of Christ says, oh, this wrecks my heart. What happens is unity takes place. Anointing covers the situation. And big dreams become big reality in people that are far from him, that are hurting, that are wrecked, that are struggling, that need somebody to say, I've had all I can stands. I can't stands no more. Let's be the people of God that do something about it. Would you close your eyes with me, bow your heads at all locations, nobody stirring, nobody moving around. Let's do business with God. You may not know what it is, and so your prayer today is, Lord, would you show me? Maybe you've had something in your heart that stirred you before, and it's grown cold, or you've drifted from that. It's okay. It's okay. God, God knows we're like sheep and we go astray. Your prayer is, Jesus, would you stir my heart again for what used to break it? Would you stir my heart again for what I used to say? Oh, that ought not be, but I let the busyness of life, I let the, the concerns of everyday life take me from what you say. Oh, Jesus, help us then to just step out and do something. So, God, I pray for every person in this room that we would be stirred by what you want to do. Ultimately, God, if there's anybody in the room today, if there's anybody in any room under the sound of my voice, as the team joins me in the front there at Dyball and Duncan and campus pastor there in Nacogdoches and right here in Lufkin, if you're here and you've never invited Jesus, you know what he can't stand? He can't stand that your heart would be far from him. He, can't stay. he couldn't stand it so much that he did something about it. And he sent his son to live the perfect life for you, to die an excruciating death for you. Got it at all he could stand. He couldn't stand no more. And he bridged heaven and earth with the son, uh, the son of the one and only God, Jesus Christ. And maybe you're here today and you need to say, Jesus, be my Savior today. Be my Lord. I've drifted. I want you to guide me today. I've had all I can stands without you. Enter my heart and guide me and save me. 
Father, wherever we are in this story, we thank you that you won't leave us or, you're, or forsake us. Even if we've drifted, you're right here to make things new, to, to help us to dare to dream and find those dreams and serve you in between those dreams. And we ask it all in the mighty name of Jesus, the strong son of God. And everybody said amen.